Um, so this morning we're starting a brand new series called In Everything. And the core, the crux of this series is worship. What is worship, right? And so we're going to be talking about uh, uh, what we think worship is, what, wor- worship, what worship actually is. And the whole concept, what we're really going to come to is that worship is not just a time and a service. Like we might think like what we think worship is. We think it might be a time and a service like what we just did, maybe what you're doing now. And you're not wrong, but it's not a good, complete idea about what worship is. You might think, you know, it's, it's actually the entire service or just like doing nice things for people. That can be worship. Again, it's, it's a kind of piece of the picture. But in the series, we want to talk about what it looks like to consider worship everything that we do in our lives. That worship is not just a time during a, 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 on Sunday that we go and get together. It's not just a thing you do when you're considering, you know, doing nice things for other people. Worship is actually much, much more than that. And actually, in a simple way of understanding it, uh, uh, simply put, worship is a response. Worship is a response. Okay, when you want to think at its most basic level, what we do when we worship, it's simply a response. Okay, now what's, what we'll find is that when we worship, it's not just about, you know, uh, uh, again, it, just, it doesn't have to just do with God. Because if you think about if worship is just a response, you can respond to anything, you know. And we'll talk a little bit more today about how our values and what we understand and what we believe can drive what we worship. But worship can be directed at anything, right? It can be directed at, you know, our our kids, our family, good things, bad things, all all different kinds of things. And another way, so if it's just a response, another way of thinking about this is that worship is uh, making much of what matters most. Worship is making much of what matters most. So continue that idea. That it's not just about God. Let's put that idea aside for a second. Think about the things in your life that you might, that might matter to you, right? Take your family, take your kids, right? Your job, maybe, right? You can, there are times in your life where you make much of those things. And throughout this series, I don't want you to walk away feeling like, well, okay, those things are evil, and I should never consider those things, and I should never put any time or make a big deal out of any of that. No, no, no. I think the point is, is that when we're in those contexts, when we're in those situations, when we're with our families, when we're at work, when these things are happening in our lives, we have to view it differently because they might matter, but they don't matter the most. Does that make sense? Not your to view with me. So worship is just making much of what matters most. And this leads us to a big question that I, I think we're going to need to wrestle with this morning. And not just as a start to this conversation, but it's, it's a clarifying question for if you're having a hard time, if you think you're doing good with this, you need to answer this question and take an honest look at your life. And I think it's going to help you see where maybe your blind spots are. And the question is this, what do you truly value? What do you truly cherish? Like, what do you truly treasure? And I don't just mean like at a, at like a surface level, I'm talking about like at a heart level, like at, a, at the level where like you're designed as a person, like what are the things that you truly, truly do value? And what's interesting is, is you'll have some stuff right at the top, like my spouse, my family, my job. I mean, like, these, these are kind of the big rock things that come to mind. God, of course, like, these things are important. I value them. I think where it really pivots is where you change the language. Like, we don't really say the word cherish very often. You don't really say the word, I treasure you. Like, if you were to say it to your spouse, you'd be like, are you okay? Like, what did you do? Did you do something wrong? That's how you feel about them, right? Like, you treasure 
your spouse, your significant other, that your family, like your parents, your, like you cherish those people, you cherish the time that you have with them, especially if it's gone. You know what I'm saying? That's when you start to realize how much you did treasure, or how much you do cherish those things. And if you're having a hard time seeing like where you're at on those things, and this is really uncomfortable, but look at your calendar. Look at your time. Where are you spending your time? Because what happens is those things that we truly value, those things that we truly cherish, those things that we truly treasure have a gravitational pull in our lives. Y'all with me? To where like the things that we really do value, that we really place worth into, they tend to pull us. And one of the clearest ways to see that is look at your calendar. Now, maybe you're not calendaring the family time, things like that. But like if you see that you're putting a lot of time towards like your kids' soccer, not a bad thing. Again, not a bad thing. But if you see that you're, we're pouring in time and effort and energy into these things that we, we say, like, oh, you know, they're important, but they're not the most important. Does that make sense? What I want to help encourage you today to do is, is thinking not just about things that matter, but things that matter most. Because our worship is something that's important to us. It's something that, that we should be thoughtful about. And if we're not careful, what can happen is we end up placing on things that don't matter the most and don't truly have, uh, they're not something we truly cherish, they're not something that we truly treasure in our lives. In fact, I think the American church, and I'm including myself in that, I'm including Journey Church in this, I'm including all of us in this, we've not done a great job at helping people to understand this, to where Jesus has been an accoutrement, an addition, a side dish to what is really important in your life. Like, Jesus is like a sidekick on my journey. Like, Jesus take the wheel, that means he's sitting in the side seat, that ain't what's going on. You see what I'm saying here? In Matthew 15, Jesus quotes Isaiah from the Old Testament when he says this. This is verse 8. He says, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. If we could just stop that there, I feel like this is the number one problem with our churches in America. And again, I'm including us. We're not exempt. We're not, you know, on a higher plane than them. I feel like we've gotten ourselves to a place where we, we, we create these environments, these cultures where we feel like we're honoring God with our lips sometimes, but maybe we're not doing the hard, intentional work of growing our hearts in worship to God, where we're cherishing and treasuring the things that are most important, which is Jesus. He continues on. He says this, they worship me in vain. Oh, go back. He says, they worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. This is why people will come to church and feel like, well, I feel like I could have gotten that from that guy I follow on Twitter or TikTok or or something like that. Like, I get good advice on my Instagram reels, so like, church is just an extra thing. That's how people in this post-Christian society are beginning to view the church. Not even beginning, but that's how they view the church a lot of times, because we're kind of guilty of this, because we've allowed ourselves to become people where our worship is thin, because we're not making much of what matters most. It's like Jesus and Isaiah really called this even long, long ago. And Jesus must matter most. That's the solution to this problem we're having, is that if we truly did cherish Jesus, if we truly did treasure Jesus the way we're called to, the way our lives are designed to do, then it would be a much, much different situation. And we magnify Jesus, we magnify God by cherishing him above all these other things. These other things are good, don't get me wrong. Your family, good. Your spouse, your career, these things you're excited and motivated about, they're all good things, but we must put Jesus in a different position in our lives. We must lift him higher. In fact, Paul 
speaks about this in Philippians. It's Philippians chapter 1. And now a little bit of context. He's writing this from a jail cell, okay? So he's in a world where, like, the whole persecution, like, whatever persecution we think we go through as Christians in America, which, sure, there's some. I mean, especially if you're online and and speaking out about your faith and things like that. There's, sure, if you want to call it persecution, cool. But, like, Paul was going through, like, legit persecution, like, people getting killed, people put in jail. And, like, they knew he was important, right? They knew he was a big deal. So like he wasn't in like, I don't, I personally don't believe he thought he was like going to die or anything, but he was ready. And we see that here. This is uh, verse uh, 20. This is Paul speaking. He says, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Let's stay here for a second. So this is Paul's position. Paul's position is that Jesus matters so much to me. He is the thing that I place above all else. He's the thing that I cherish. He's the thing that I treasure above all else, right? I'm going to make much of him no matter whether I live or whether I die. In fact, he says it like this in the next verse. This is verse 21. He says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I live, I'm going to continue to spread the gospel. I'm going to continue to worship with my life. He is going to obviously be the most important thing in my life because of the way that I live and breathe and care for people and live my life. But if I were to die, then lucky me because I get my ultimate reward. Do you see that perspective? It's different if Jesus is not the highest thing. If Jesus were like number two or three on the list, I don't think he's writing this. You see what I'm saying here? This is uncomfortable because it's designed to be uncomfortable because we've kind of worked ourselves into a place where Jesus is a part of our lives rather than being the point of our lives. Nod your head if you're with me. Okay, so the key, in my opinion, uh, and I, I, um, there was a sermon many, many, many years ago, even in high school I heard this sermon from a pastor up in, uh, I believe, Minnesota somewhere, John Piper, phenomenal teacher, especially on, on this topic of, of what does it look like to worship with your life. And there's a lot of nuggets I pulled from him, and this is one of them. He said this. He said, the key to praising Jesus is prizing Jesus. If you see Jesus for who he is, and you place him in the right place in your life, praising him's not a problem. Do you see that? If we think of him as the second or third, and again, I don't think we're consciously doing this. I don't think we're consciously, I'm like, I'm going to just put Jesus in my back pocket and move on with my life. I think by the way that we've chosen to live, and I'm including myself in this, We've put ourselves in a position where we're not prizing Jesus the way we need to. The key to praising Jesus is prizing Jesus, understanding him for who he is to be in our lives and the place he should hold, that he should be the thing we most value, we most treasure, that we most cherish. Now, the rest of this morning, I want to spend time in two verses. That's it, y'all. We're spending time in two verses for the rest of the morning because I truly believe If we get this right, and by getting it right, I don't mean like, check, done, moving on. I'm talking like if we understand these two verses in the context of our lives and apply it in a way that's actually how it's designed to to work in our lives as followers of Christ, it will change not just your life, it will not just change Journey Church, it will change our community in the world, okay? And I'm not overstating this. Now, this is probably, if you've been in the church for any length of time, you've probably heard this verse, you've probably memorized this verse, you might, have been given, you might have been given candy as a kid to memorize this verse, you know what I'm saying, like one of those kind of things. This is Romans 12, verses 1 
through 2. And again, this is Paul speaking to us. And he's, if you've not ever read the book of Romans, go, but we did a series a couple years ago uh, for Read Your Bible where we went through the whole book of Romans. It's worth your time because there's so much great meat and content there for a practical Christian life and building a theology of a life of a Christian. However, he kind of starts to culminate it here in the beginning of verse, or chapter 12 with verses 1 and 2. So let's kind of walk through this together. This is verse 1. It says this. It says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Let's hold there for a second. This idea of a living sacrifice. The people Paul's talking to, this is not a picture. Like, this is not a happy idea for them, okay? I feel like for us, we've, we've kind of turned this into like a rah-rah, yeah, living sacrifice, cool. But like, for the people he's talking to, sacrifice was a very real thing. Like, especially the Jewish people, like if you read the Old Testament, like, there are prescriptions for sacrifice. Like, that is how they commune and, and kind of uh, transacted with God. Oh no, I did bad stuff. I need to sacrifice things on my behalf to get back even with God. Does that make sense? That's a very like, like boiler, boiled down version of what it means. But these sacrifices were typically things like animals, or they were grains, or you know, things like that. And typically they were dead. Like they weren't like alive things. They were things that have been killed and are now being offered as a sacrifice. Y'all with me? Stick with me here. Okay. So what Paul's telling these people is he's saying, no, 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 no. Don't bring the sacrifice. You are the sacrifice. And your sacrifice is yourself. Because what he says is offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. And at the bottom he says, this is your true and proper worship. He started to outline it for them. It's not something dead, it's living. And oh yeah, it's not something you're bringing, it's actually you. And it's not just living, but what do we connote with with things that are living? They're doing. It's active. There's things that are happening. You're not just alive and just kind of sitting there. It's not like a comatose kind of situation. Living sacrifice helps us to connect the idea of doing and being and, and, and movement, right? It's not just alive. And I think verse 2, which, which we're about to dive into, this is kind of hard to, to, to put a picture in your life of. Like, what does it look like to be a living sacrifice? I don't know if you're like me, but I love how-to guides. Can I get an amen of, like, some hands? Of, like, tell me what, not, don't just tell me, like, what to do, but, like, tell me how to do it. Like, step one, you're going to do this. Cool. Step three, like the YouTube videos. Come on, y'all got to be with me on that. Like, there's those things you go to YouTube and tell you how to do it. I wish we had a YouTube for this, because it'd be great. He actually does give it to us. Because I think verse two is like the realistic explanation for this symbolism. Because this is like a picture. It's a word picture, right? The whole living sacrifice. It's a word picture that Paul's painting. I think verse 2 is like the realistic expression of verse 1. So let's look at verse 2. The first part says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. Let's hold here. Do not conform, but be transformed. There's, there's, there's a couple things going on here. First, in verse 1, we're seeing sacrifice and worship. And verse 2 is going to be much more about, okay, now what do we do with that? And what we're seeing here, there's a negative command and there's a positive command. There's a do not conform, that's negative, and there's a be transformed. Y'all see that? There's a negative and a positive. Put it simply, not conformed, be transformed. Not conformed, be transformed. If you're not, yeah, let's go on to the next slide. If you're thinking that, that's kind of how it breaks down for us. It's not conformed, be transformed. And I think a lot of times, this is especially true in the American church, if you grew up in youth group, can I get some hands to people who went to youth group? I'm talking to myself too. A lot of times, especially with younger kids, we get stuck on the first part. 
We get stuck on the do not conform. That's where we stop and that's where we focus because it's so much easier to get someone to behave properly than to think rightly. Do you see that? It's much, much easier to help a child or a student or an adult, God help us, to not do something, to not behave in a certain way than to change the way they're thinking and feeling and understanding life. Do you see that? We say not conform, but be transformed. We get stuck on not conforming. And so we put ourselves in this position to where we feel like all of life, the life of a Christian is don't conform, don't conform, don't listen to that, don't watch this, don't do this, don't say that. And that's a Christian life. And that's rough, man. Like that is not, like if you look at what Jesus teaches in the scriptures, that is not even close to what he talks about. Like there are things he mentions here and there. Yeah, like he helps to guide us and put guideposts in our lives but like, there's, there's an analogy, this is, I'm pulling this out of left field. There's this analogy that I learned when I was a kid where in the Old Testament, uh, what tended to happen, especially in that culture, is they would make rules about the rules. Does that make sense? So like, let's say the rule was don't touch this table. Y'all with me? God said, don't touch that table because you're going to die. Okay. Then the people who were like the leaders at the time were like, okay, so he said, don't touch the table, right? Okay, cool. Let's put a fence around the table. And the new rule is don't touch the fence. Y'all with me? Because if they don't touch the fence, they're not going to get close to the table. You see that? And then the next generation's like, oh, they said don't touch the table. Oh, we got to put like a fence, or sorry, the fence. Don't touch the fence. Okay, well, we got to put like another barrier around that. And then we'll say, don't touch, don't cross the barrier. Don't climb over the barrier. And then they won't touch the fence. And then they won't touch the table. Does that make sense? But again, we're not good at teaching the thing behind the thing. Y'all with me? And so the new rule is don't go over the barrier. And we grew up thinking the whole point is don't go over the barrier when it's actually about the freaking table. Y'all see that? This is what happens with people. Is we, with good intentions, I believe a lot of times it's good intentioned. But we get stuck on the wrong thing. Yes, do not conform. But Paul follows it up right afterwards with what you should do, which is to be transformed. And this transformation is not just a, a, a little like moment. Transformation is change and it's growth. To even go a little further, it's, it's present tense. It's happening now, it's ongoing, it's continual growth. Transformation, a lot of times it gets confused with conversion, that idea of like being one state and now you're another state. I'm a non-believer and now I'm a believer. Do you see that? And the Bible teaches about that, about how there's a moment, Holy Spirit comes, there's, a, there's an actual change in a person right? Because of the work of God. But this transformation is something that's happening now. It's ongoing. It's continual growth. That's the transformation we're talking about. But again, I like my YouTubes, but how? How do we do this? How in the world do we have this kind of transformation? Let's read, uh, uh, continue on in verse two. So do not conform to the pattern of this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. By the renewing of mind. How do you do that? So be transformed. Paul, how do I do that? By the renewing of your mind. It's not, the way that we are transformed is not just by being opposite of what's happening in the world. It's not just by not conforming. It's by having a renewal in our minds. In fact, okay, I got a little picture for you. Uh, maybe this will help. Let's see if I don't break things. Okay. I wanted to be like Matt and have an illustration. He got excited when I said I was going to do this. All right, y'all see the cups? The cups are us. Okay, now what we do with ourselves, well, that just got loud, sorry, with ourselves and with our kids and with whatever, what we tell ourselves 
is we say, do not conform. Got the purple and blue. Don't conform, dude. Don't conform. So what's this person think? This person thinks that the point is to not be like the other ones. So I'm going to try real hard, and I'm going to do better things, and I'm going to say nicer things. And I, look, I'm not conforming. Oh, but then, oh, crap. I got in with the wrong kids, and there's a little bit more conforming happening. And y'all see what I'm saying here? This is the truth that we try to sell to ourselves and to kids, is don't conform. Don't conform. Don't conform. But what Paul's telling us is, no, no, no. Not just don't be conformed. Yes, that's part of it. You got it. Great. Now move on to the next thing, which is be transformed. And how do you do that? It's by the renewing of your mind, which is not something we're doing. We'll, find, we'll, we'll see again. This is the work of God in us. And this actually comes from the importance of what's inside. It's the renewing of our minds. This is what helps to have that transformation. This is where the transformation comes from. It's from cleaning out and changing the inside, becoming a new person from the inside out. It's not just about conforming. It's about the transforming, which comes from inside. Does that make sense? We get stuck on this. It's about this. Yes? Nonconformity isn't the goal. It's the byproduct of a renewed mind. You get this right, and this happens automatically. Because you think differently and you see differently. And you don't conform, not because you were told, don't conform. You don't conform because you're like, yeah, I see why that's a bad idea. Yeah, I see why that's not the person I want to be. This will come naturally as an outflowing from a renewed mind. Let's keep reading in, in verse 2 because it keep, continues to tell us but how. And as a result of this, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's the How? Now, so what from that, right? He continues on with a then or a therefore or a because of this, now this, which is that you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing and perfect will. How many times have you said in your life, I just wish I knew what God wanted for me? I just wish I knew what to do in this situation. Like, why wouldn't God just come and send down a nice little note and say, like, take this job or like, do this thing? Like, that'd be great. What Paul's telling us here is if you do not conform by the power of the Holy Spirit, and you are transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit, and your mind is renewed by the power of the Holy Spirit, then you'll be able to test and approve and know God's will. Let's all say that together. Let's say test and approve. Test and approve. Say it again. Test and approve. One more time. Test and approve. This is the practical way we carry out this in our lives. Because the renewal happens over time. It's a daily thing. This is a normal life part of a Christian because when it comes to testing, testing is like the evaluation. It's the thinking. It's the ceiling. It's the tasting. It's like the what is this? It's evaluation. The approving part of that is separate. These are kind of like two stages. Test step or Stage one, you test it. Stage two, you approve it. This is where we confirm it. Confirmation and, or affirmation. I think, okay, we got to figure this out, this thing I'm walking into in life. Because your mind is being renewed, because you're having a different way of seeing and thinking and feeling... You're able to test things differently, evaluate things differently, right? And then as a result of that, you can then move on to the approve spot where you're confirming. Yes, that's where you receive peace and confidence, not because of what you've done, but because God has continued to train you and transform you so that you might be able to say it with me, test and approve. This is how we live out the will of God in our lives. In fact, think about it like this. 
Let's say I were to go down to like a stream that I know is chock full of gold. We're not going to find it nowadays. Let's pretend, right? So a stream chock full of gold. And I teach a dude who knows nothing, and he comes over and I'm like, hey, look, here's what I'm going to teach you. I need you to find like all these nuggets that are about this big, and they're yellow. They look like this, okay? And when you find them, I want you to toss them in this bucket, and I'm going to pay you 15 bucks an hour to do this for me. And he's like, what? Yes, this is great. So he spends hours, he's tossing the bucket, tossing the bucket, tossing the bucket. And I end up with a bucket full of gold, and he goes on with his 45 bucks. He's been taught how to test and kind of look and evaluate things, but he doesn't have the ability to cherish and value and understand these things. For us, the point is not just to recognize the gold in our life and say, oh, there's gold, oh, there's gold, oh, there's gold. It's to see the gold and then to value the gold and to cherish the gold and to treasure the gold. The point isn't just testing. You don't just stop there. It's the testing and approving. We don't want to just be able to see these things in our lives. The point is we want to be transformed and live our lives in worship so that we might be able to treasure and change the way that we understand and see things in our lives. To put it another way, mind renewal, okay, mind renewal is a, is a deep change, okay, it's a deep spiritual change in how the mind assesses and values things. Mind renewal is a deep spiritual change in the way the mind assesses and values change, or values things. It's not just about being able to see things correctly. It's about being able to value them differently because of how your mind has been renewed. And it's not just a mental exercise. Like this, is, this isn't just you know, a thing we put in our head to try and like have right thinking, right? To be able to think a certain way. This is about having God do a work in our lives. This is God's job. His job is to transform us, to change us, and to make us into a new creation. And nonconformity, like I was saying, is the result. If we get the mind renewed, if God has continued to transform and renew us daily by the word, through prayer, through time just spent with him, then the nonconformity that Paul speaks of comes as a result of that. It's a free-flowing piece of those new values and the new assessment because you're able to test and approve that change in your life comes as a result. It's an outpouring, an overflow, which we call worship. So let's recap all of this Romans 12, 1, 11, or 1 and 2 real quick. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. We are the sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. In verse 2, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing and perfect will. This looks like daily renewal. When we say like having your mind renewed, the, the renewal of your mind is not just a moment. So many times I think we get caught on like this is a thing that happened to me or this thing I walked through. No, this is, a, this is why we spend time in our Bibles. This is why we pray. This is why we're in community with one another. Because I believe you will have interactions with people here at church that will be catalysts to help you have renewal in your mind. God will use all things for your good. We believe that. So that's why we position it. Because again, it's not about us. It's not about ourselves doing the work. We're positioning ourselves to receive 
from God. If there's a faucet pouring down and I stick my hands over here, I'm not going to receive the benefit of that faucet. Do you see that? But if I position my hands correctly, I'm able to receive the full and overflowing and abundant gift from that. God's responsible for doing that work in us. Now, remember that big question we talked about earlier? Let's remember this. What, uh, what do you truly value? What do you truly cherish? What do you truly tre- treasure? That's the question you have to answer for yourself. And again, this isn't about shame. If you're feeling shame from this question, take a, pump the brakes and hold on. Because that's not the point. The point is for us to see what are the things we've put in front of Jesus. What are the things we've put beside him even? We have to be aware of these things so that we can, this is a Christian word, we can repent. That's a biblical ideal. Like if you look, in, especially in the New Testament, that there's, a, there's an idea of repentance is what comes before all the other things. We turn from, that's what really repentance means, is to turn from. We use this question as a lens to understand what we're putting in front of Jesus, what we're giving our worship to in our lives, because you might be a living sacrifice, but it might not be for Jesus. So what are the things that you truly value, that you truly cherish, that you truly treasure? We want to get to a point where that is Jesus, because we understand him for who he is, the sacrifice and the gift of grace. In that verse, Paul says, in view of God's mercy. That's the context through which we're seeing all this. We live in our worship in the context, in the view of God's mercy, that we didn't deserve grace, and instead he gave it to us freely. That is in view of God's mercy. And what I believe is that all of life, all of life is making much of what you truly value, what you truly cherish, what you truly treasure. Because remember, worship is making much of what matters most. And if you can dial in to understand those things that you truly treasure, that you truly value, that you truly cherish, you'll be able to see what are the things getting in the way of me experiencing and seeing transformation and mind renewal in my life. To put this another way, all of life is worship. And the fact is, it comes down to, it can be worship of God, or it can be worship of something else. All of life is worship. It's either of God or it's of something else. And so your choice, because remember, worship is a response. And the more and more and more that we see our minds renewed by the Spirit of God, through time in His Word, through prayer, through all the things we see in the Bible that He calls us to do, the more we see this, the more our, our gravitational pull go from the things that we put in front of Jesus to God Himself. Because in view of God's mercy, we are changed and transformed. And this non-confirmation, or non-conforming comes from not just a trying so hard or an effort on our part, but simply as the outflow of a changed and renewed mind, the transformation of a believer. And so there's an invitation in this. The invitation is simply, therefore, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. So if you're feeling stuck, if you're feeling like, well, I haven't really seen growth in my life, this is a process you need to start. This is a conversation you need to have with yourself. What are the things that I truly value? 
that I truly cherish, that I truly treasure? What are the things that I'm putting first in my life? Look at your calendar. Again, that's a great way to have a practical look at what you actually care about in your life. And this, this process of transformation, again, it's something that you might position yourself for, but it's God who does the change and the work in us. It's not about us being good enough or being smart enough or learning enough to where, like, mind renewal isn't being smarter. Do you hear that? It's not about reading enough books or doing enough things. Mind renewal is positioning yourself in submission to God so that you might allow yourself to see that change and transformation happen in your life. Worship is making much of what matters most. So my challenge to you is what matters most to you. Let's pray. God, we're grateful for your word. We're grateful for the fact that we can even say the phrase in view of God's mercy and it be something that matters to us. God, what a gift that you would see us as we are, that you would extend grace to us, not just as a band-aid, but God, as a permanent restoration of our relationship. God, would you help us to come to a place where we can turn from and repent of the things that we've put before you, the things that we continue to place in front of you? Would you help us to be more like you every day, that our minds would be renewed by the power of your Spirit? God, that we would, yes, not conform to the things of this world, but God, that would be as a result of being transformed by you. God, help us unlearn the things that are unhelpful and even harmful in our lives as we follow you. God, we turn from those things. And God, all we want, all we need is you. God, help us to value you and treasure you and cherish you the way that we should because of a renewed heart and renewed mind. God, we're grateful for your love and your grace. Would you help us to be more and more like you every day so we might live our lives out in worship to you. We pray all these things in your name. Amen.